you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. Book of Exodus. We'll be looking in Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. And today we are dealing with the sixth commandment. So we have looked at the, the, first, uh, the first five commandments, and there is almost a little shift that takes place in between the fourth commandment and the fifth commandment. Uh, we, we know about the first four commandments. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any uh, carved or graven image. Uh, you shall worship the Lord your God alone. These are all how we deal with the Lord, how we worship the Lord, how we relate to him. And then we come to the fifth commandment, and the fifth commandment kind of broadens that horizon a little bit. And then from then on, the commandments show us how we deal with one another. Beginning with, honor your father and your mother that, the days, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is given you. And so we now continue that, that, that broadened horizon of how we relate to our fellow man. In fact, if you remember, maybe you remember the Bible story. Uh, maybe you remember the, uh, the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, they came up to Jesus seeking to, uh, seeking to trap him. And they said to him, uh, what's the most important commandment? What's number one? Hoping that he would say something and they could uh, say, well, what about this? What about this? And they could trap him. And Jesus' response was, the most important commandment is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind, and that you love your neighbor as yourself. Indeed, this is the entire uh, Ten Commandments, that we love the Lord with all of ourself, our heart, our soul, our mind, and then we love our neighbor in a reflection of that love. The love that God gives to us, then we extend to our neighbor. And we come today to a commandment, uh, verse 13, and we read this. You shall not murder. Now, I've already been told, I've already been told once again this week, that, uh, you know, it can, be, uh, but it, can be, it can be long, and it can be good, but if it's not short, it better be good. What is it, Ms. Trudy? I've been told. Y'all, y'all, y'all say it several times. Anyway, uh, nobody wants our sermon today, which is weird. I, I figure most people want that, really, uh, but I guess you don't today. But here today, we have four English words that our sermon is going to be comprised of. You shall not murder. And to make matters worse, in the original language, it's two words. Never murder. And so today we're going to talk about these four words, and hopefully it won't be two hours. And I told everybody it would at least be 15 minutes, no shorter than that. We'll see past that. So we do want to approach this, uh, this text, You Shall Not Murder, uh, with, uh, with, the, with the help of the Holy Spirit. So we know that the Word of God is living and breathing and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even dividing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we consider this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We pray today as we examine your commandment that you would help us to see the breadth of this commandment, that you would help us to see your heart behind this commandment and your desire for us as we seek to live out this commandment in light of Jesus and the cross. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So it's pretty black and white here, right? The essence of this text, the essence of this, this simple verse is that you and I not murder. 
not, uh, not commit murder. God forbade murder. Now, this is exactly what this word means. Uh, to murder, to, uh, to take someone's life, to cause human death through carelessness or neglect. To intentionally take away something that you do not have the right to take away. You shall not murder. The Bible shows us that from the very beginning of creation to the very end of our Bible, that God is preeminently for life. He is the God of life. Indeed, we refer to Him as Savior, not destroyer. He's a God of life, and He loves life. So we want to figure out what does this mean for us. We understand what it means not to physically take a human life. But we want to apply that in other areas in our society, other areas in our own life, to see how we can truly follow this commandment. So what does this commandment entail? I want to look at three things this morning. Three simple things. One, I want to look at what does this command permit? Or a better way of saying it maybe is uh, what does it this uh, command prohibit? In other words, when we say um, do not murder, what, what, are, what, what, what then is allowed to take place uh, that, that, that this command isn't specifically speaking to? Then we want to look at uh, the, second, the second point. We want to look at what does this command prohibit? What is this command saying not to do? And then last but not least, we want to look at how Jesus informs this command and teaches us today. So let's begin with the first one. What does this command permit? Or perhaps, what doesn't this command prohibit? When we think of that idea, uh, do not murder, just recently, uh, recently we were, uh, Jordan and I were watching a documentary on uh, the serial killer Ted Bundy. And uh, during his trial, they had his mother on, on the stand. And it was after, it was after he'd already been guilty, uh, or called guilty, and they were looking at sentencing. And she sat on the stand, and her response was, uh, I am a Christian. And uh, I believe that the Bible says that we should not murder, therefore, we should not murder my son. That was the lie behind it. And so we're going to look at this commandment and say, what is, this, is this commandment speaking in that same tone? Is, that, is, this, is she interpreting that commandment uh, rightly? She invokes the Ten Commandments, one of the ten, and, and she says, we shall not murder, therefore, we should not put anyone to death. And so what does this commandment mean? Well, let's kind of begin with the why first. Why is God commanding us not to murder? Why is God giving us this commandment? Well, this commandment is established all the way back in creation. Why is it wrong to take a human life? It is wrong to take a human life because that human is endowed with the image of God. He is created in the image of God. There is a difference between you and me and my family dog. There's a difference. There's a difference between you and me and the smartest dolphin ever existed. You see, uh, one person, is, uh, a really smart person said one time that both a dog and a man dig a hole, but only the man sits back and says, why did I dig that hole? See, you and I have, have an image of God that is planted in us, that is create, that we are created in the form and the fashion of, that gives us reasoning, that gives us will, that gives us inherent dignity. We are stamped with the image of God. This is uh, similar, similar to how we, uh, we think about uh, flags, right? Uh, there is nothing really special about this, uh, this, the fabric of this American flag. There's nothing special about that at all. It's common fabric. In fact, you probably have other things in your home that are made of the same fabric. Maybe kids' backpacks, maybe, uh, maybe other shirts, maybe other, uh, other uh, things. And yet, for some reason, we esteem a flag, right? Why? 
because of what the flag represents, because of the image behind the flag. The same is true for you and I, that the reason why we have inherent dignity is because of whose image we bear. If we look at the life of Jesus, once again, trying to trap him, trying to catch him, the scribes came to him and said, uh, should we pay taxes? Now, button issue. We, we think about our hot button issues today. That was the big one. Should the Jewish people pay taxes to the evil Roman government? And you remember Jesus' response. He said, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin, and he looks at it, and he says, whose image is on this coin? And they say, well, Caesar's. And he says, okay, well, render to Caesar's. What is Caesar's? And sometimes we stop there. We forget what he says next. What does he say next? But render unto God's what is God's. Jesus is a point about the image of God. He's saying that just like a coin is stamped with the image of, of the nation, so you and I are image bearers of God. So because of that, it is wrong to take away the image of God. It was not something that you were given. Uh, you didn't earn it. You, you, didn't, you, didn't, uh, you, you, were, you weren't born without the image of God, and then two years later you did something and you got the image of God. No, you could do nothing about that. It was given to you simply because you are created as a, as a being from the Creator. God gives that to every man, woman, and child ever born. They are given the image of God. So to take something that is not ours is a sin, not just against our fellow man, but against God. So we come back to this commandment, you shall not murder. And, and this is a, a command that means uh, that this word murder is not a common word for kill. Maybe your translation says you shall not kill, but that's not exactly the same way. Uh, the, the, the Old Testament uses that word kill in several different ways, but it only uses this word murder a few times. And in those instances that this word is used, it is used for, the, for the, uh, the, uh, either the, the explicit taking of a human life or uh, the taking of a human life through negligence and carelessness. So this is not talking about uh, killing in the broad sense. And so this command by itself does not, does not, prohibit the death penalty as we think about it today. In fact, we look at other verses like Genesis 6 where after Noah and his family get off the ark, uh, God tells Noah and his family that you are made in the image of God. Go out and uh, repopulate the earth and if a man kills another man, then require his life from him because he has taken the image of God. So this verse in particular is not talking about about uh, death being brought on through the hands of a government because of a crime, particularly murder. And we can look at other passages that we could uh, build a view of that may, that may uh, take that away, especially in light of Jesus and the cross, but this is not the command to go to for that. This command also does not prohibit, prohibit Christians in the military, Christians in war. Uh, this, uh, we, we see uh, in, in the New Testament when the Romans came to him and uh, the Roman centurions then, uh, then uh, were the, the, the few ones that we see that were, uh, that were saved and followed Jesus. Jesus didn't tell them, okay, now you need to quit the army. No, instead, he told them how to live as honorable soldiers. And so here we can, we can uh, build a theory uh, that Christians have, uh, have developed throughout the years called a just war theory. Now, this, this command here is not the command that we want to go to if we want to disprove that Christians should be pacifists, or we should prove that Christians should be pacifists. There may be other commands that inform that, but this command is not that. What does this command then prohibit? 
if it does not prohibit the death penalty, if it does not prohibit uh, the, uh, the, the just war theory, then what does this command prohibit? What is this command specifically talking about? And it is specifically talking about the willing taking of a life. Now, what does that mean for us today? Nobody in here, I hope, nobody in here, I hope, has committed actual murder, have premeditated a murder and taken, taken it out. Nobody in here has done that. So how, how are we, how are we in, in danger of breaking this commandment? Well, you and I live in a culture of death, a culture that worships death. The secular world uh, almost sets up death as the greatest good. And so we want to look into our culture and speak into it in such, in, to show the areas where this command is broken. We as people, we call ourselves people of God. If we are people of God and he is, he is first and foremost about life, then you and I ought to be about life. Now what is that? For everybody. Life for you, for me, and everyone in this room, but also the people that don't look like us and don't act like us and the weak and the vulnerable. And so we rightfully, we say that this command would prohibit abortion. But we would look into it and say that an unborn baby is life. And so God cares about that life and we speak into that and we guard life. But we would take that a step further and say that this command also speaks to that single mother who is contemplating abortion because of her circumstances. The church says to her, we believe in your life. And so we want to help you and care for you and guard you. We would also say that this command extends even to the end of life. And so we look at uh, the end of life and we see a movement even now coming from Europe and from Canada and elsewhere in the United States of, a, uh, of, of legalizing euthanasia, saying that there are some people that they have the right to die, the right to take their own life. But as we see in history, it becomes a right to die. It, it morphs into a duty to die. When you come burning on your feet, you have to go ahead and just take your own life. And we believers, we, we go against that. We say, no, we do not, we're not going to go uh, and, and put all our chips in on murder. No, we speak for life. You were not given your life. You cannot take your life. So it speaks also uh, to the dignity of those who are older, right? Those who have lived their life. We celebrate uh, the, the white right? We celebrate. We say it's a crown upon their head. We celebrate the elderly. We celebrate those who are even uh, mentally not up to shape as they once were, right? We, we celebrate those who are disabled. We say they have a right to life, and we want, we want to protect that right to life. And many of us in here, we would agree with several of these, and we also must make sure that, all of, all, that we, we figure out all the implications of this. And we figure out the implications that not only do we care for the unborn, we, not only do we care for the aged, not only do we care for the disabled and the weak, but we also care for the, the refugee and the foreigner. We care for them because the Bible commands us to care for life. So we want to make sure that when we're thinking politically or we're thinking uh, even, even uh, personally, we want to make sure that this is informing our viewpoint, that we care about their life. And we want to make sure that we as Christians are extending that love to one another. This command also prohibits us from taking our own life. The church has historically seen suicide as murder of one's self. And this command would permit that. So how does the church wrestle with these things? Well, we see that suicide is not an unforgivable sin. Many have probably tried to tie that sin to, uh, to the unforgivable sin that Jesus mentions, but there is no uh, textual uh, idea that that goes together. But many people say that because there's no way to repent from suicide. 
But we realize that you and I are not living in a system where we must repent of every sin after we've done them or we're denied the relationship with Jesus. No, our faith is based on not works, but trust in Jesus. And so though suicide is tragic, it is not the unforgivable sin. Yet for believers, we believe, we believe, based on the scriptures, that suicide is not the answer regardless, regardless of the pain and the suffering that an individual may feel in that time. So we as a church, we speak about these things and we tell our friends and our family that if they are wrestling with thoughts of suicide or self-harm, we are people of life. We serve a God of life. And there are ways to find help. So we speak to this. This command prohibits murder. Murder of oneself, murder of the least of these, murder of those that the society may deem as unhelpful or unwanted. And we say no. We push back against that. But not only does this command prohibit murder in the actual act of it, but we come to the third point, and that is what does Jesus teach us about this command? You remember as Jesus uh, takes the Sermon on the Mount, he arises to the, to the point to begin to, to preach this great sermon of his. He, it's almost as if he's climbing Sinai, and he's given the law. He's, he's fleshing out the law, and he talks about this. He says, you have heard, you shall not murder. But I say to you, this is where Jesus is expanding the command and showing us what all this command means. He says, but I say to you, if you hate in your heart, if you hate your brother in your heart and you call him, you fool, you have committed murder and are in need of repentance. How many of us have had a, a brother or a, a, a person in our life that has done something to us and we have burned with anger and we have burned with rage and we have, we have sought to place them down and we have removed value from them in our mind and Jesus says by hating our brother, we have broken the commandment. And every one of us in here has at some point broken this commandment in our heart. We have broken this commandment either in action or in inaction. And so we must look to someone who keeps this command. And that person is Jesus. Jesus shows us that it is possible to live the human life perfectly and earn the righteousness of God, but it's not possible for us. You and I have already broken the commandments of God. We stand condemned before Him, and so we must trust in this Jesus who perfectly loved His neighbor as Himself. That He did not just not murder, but He did the opposite. He sought the life and the well-being of every person He came in contact with, even those seeking to put Him to death. Indeed, on the cross, what was one of Jesus' last words to the people mocking him and crucifying him? He cries out for their well-being. He says, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So we as believers today, we, the first thing that we must do, the first application for us is that we must trust in this Jesus for salvation. We, we must make sure that we are not trusting in our works. We are not trusting in our church membership. We're not trusting in any other exterior thing. We are solely trusting in Jesus. He is the only one who can save because he is the only perfect one. We trust in him. And then second, as believers, we want to make sure that we are seeking the life, the well-being of everyone in our life. What does that look like? We want to mention the physical aspects of it. Christians care for the least of these. They care for the hungry. They care for the hurting. You and I care for those in our community that are brokenhearted. We weep with those who weep. We come alongside them and we seek to give them a quality of life 
that is, that, is, uh, that is good for those who bear the image of God. But you and I are not just physical beings. You and I are spiritual beings. And God cares not just about the body, but he also cares about the spirit. So how can we care about the life of our neighbor? The first thing that we can do is we can know that every man is born at odds with the God of this universe. They have sinned against him. They have thrown their lot in with Adam, and they are rebels against the throne of God. And so the only thing, the best thing that we can do for their well-being is to give them this gospel. This is the antidote for sin, the gospel of life, the words of life. We just read about the wonderful words of life. We have been given them. We have benefited from them. Who in here would say, no, I, my life was better off before I trusted in Jesus? No, none of us. We are as if a doctor has the cure to cancer and hoards it. What doctor would do that? None. So you and I, we take this message of life and we bring it to our neighbor and we apply it to his life. We show him or her, we show them the beauties of the word of God. We show them what it means to trust in this, this God who redeems the people out of slavery and gives him their law. We show them the beauties of the God that put on human flesh and walked among us. This is the God we serve. This commandment shows us that it's not just about the physical act, but it's also about the inactions of those that claim to be believers. What are we failing to do? Are we taking care of the least of these? Are we caring for our neighbor? Jesus says, you will come to me and I will say, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. My disciples would say to me, well, when did we do that? We don't remember you being in prison. And Jesus' response was, when you did this to the least of these, you did it to me. You cared for me. You and I have an obligation as the people of God, as Christians, to care for them. Not just those in this room, not just those connected to our faith family, but those in our community. Those within a mile and two mile and three mile and six miles out, those that we care for. We care for those strangers and those aliens. We care for those who are different from us. We care for them. The unborn, the old, the disabled the neighbor, the brother, the friend, we care for them because God cared for us. He is a God of life. We are people of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Pray today as we think about this command to not murder. We pray, Father, that you would help us as we work this command out. Father, if we are angry, if we struggle with, uh, with anger, we pray that you would give us forgiveness. Help us to forgive our brother, our friend, our family. We pray, Father, that you would help us to live a life that is based on your biblical principles, trusting in uh, your Son, who is our Savior. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Oreos, so.